Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, the unedited conversation with writer and teacher Alex L. and On Being's Lily Percy. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. All right. Can Alex hear me? I can hear you. Hi. Okay, I shouldn't have said we're going to see each other because we're not. Now we're just going to hear each other. <laughs> okay, and Alex, you're, ro- you're recording? Let me just triple check. I, I thought I was, and let me just triple, triple. I know. This is the thing that always scared me when I would do, like, my own um, kind of recordings in the field away from engineers. I was like, oh, my God, if I don't get this recording. <laughs> we're going to be fine, though, Alex. We're going we're gonna to do it. Yes, we are. We are recording. All yes. right. Tap, tap. Yes. It is jumping. We're recording. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to mute myself. Okay. I realize Zach, that the clock in here doesn't work anymore or it's not turned on. So just know that I have no way of knowing when an hour. So maybe you want to just. I'll, tell sig- me. I'll signal you when we pass one hour. Just throw something at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Alex, as I was sharing with you um, before we started recording, you have been such a source of support and comfort and also challenge in the best way mm-hmm. during this past year. Um, and so I'm just so grateful to be here with you and to have this space for a conversation. So thank you. Lily, thank you so much. I really like I'm smiling ear to ear and <laughs> equally as honored um, and grateful to be able to share this space with you and be in conversation. Um and to know that my work has resonated with your heart um, really just makes me extremely happy. So thank you. Hmm. You know, one of the things that um, I find so remarkable about the way that you talk and write about self-care is just how much you describe it as a practice, which mm-hmm. is something that I honestly have never really thought of before. And I'm just curious, when you think back to your childhood, what are your earliest memories of the idea of self-care or self-soothing, something else that you write about as well? How did you see that modeled or not modeled in your family or in your community? So um, it was not modeled. And I think that's where I learned it. And to be super transparent Mm. and clear, I didn't start leaning into my self-care practices until I was in my early 20s. And Mm. that was really by way of of force (laughs) from the Mm. universe because um, I didn't know who I was and I was looking for other people to give me that answer. Mm. So when I started to toy with the idea of actually taking care of myself it required me to get curious about myself too, which I, I didn't I didn't know how to do that, but I knew that I wanted to figure it out. And I think mm. that that's where curiosity came into play um, for me and my self-care becoming a practice because I didn't see anyone in my family taking care of themselves. I saw women breaking their backs. I saw mm. women carrying the world on their shoulders and trying to raise families and trying to survive. And mm-hmm. I just knew that that wasn't going to be an option for me. Um, so I decided to shift. 
What was going on in your life at the time that really opened that up for you? And also, just just as part of um, what I'm also thinking about, you know, self-care is kind of like this buzzword now that's Mm. just thrown about. So I'm curious as you think about that time when you first started to embrace it, like what did it mean to you? What it meant to me is showing up for myself so that I could show up for other people. And to Mm. put that in context, um, I became a mother at 18. So at 23, I was a young single mother. And when my daughter was born, I vowed to myself that things would be different. I would be a different Mm. type of mother. I would be a different type of woman. And I would do my best to stop chasing love in places that were rejecting me. Mm. And that required a lot of self-soothing because rejection is a part of the human experience. Yeah. Um, but also I had, I had really carried with me in my emotional suitcase is how I talk to my <laughs> course community and, and clients in, in, in the emotional unpacking settings, right. Is like my emotional suitcase was so filled with things that didn't belong to me. Mm. And, rejection and self-loathing and self-doubt were spilling out. Hmm. And um, when I was in that early stage of figuring out what self-care meant for me, not only as a mother, but as a woman, as a young woman trying to find her way and trying to dismantle generational cycles, um, I was really called to like check myself and Mm. become more self-aware. And that's really what self-care looked like for me is getting to know who I was and getting up close and personal with my self-awareness and what that meant for my then one child. I have three children now. Um, And also myself and my potential partner, which I'm married now. So it's, Everything really comes full circle, right? And it requires us to show up and get up close and personal with the things that really are uncomfortable. Um, And that's what I learned is self-awareness has to play a role in the self-care practice. Yeah, I so love the way that you complicate this idea of self-care and the fact that you name self-awareness as being such a key component because you write about that in your book, After the Rain, that like you know, you're, you're flawed, like we all are, right? And you were learning some hard lessons that needed to be learned, but a lot of it was from not being self-aware of who you were mm-hmm. and your actions at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And using that as an excuse to not learn to mm-hmm. do better, right? So yeah. I talk about that a lot in After the Rain and in the first chapter called Change, which is everyone's favorite chapter where I talk about like transitioning from working a nine to five almost nine years ago now to being in my career to how much I I was an awful employee at one point to how I stepped into like really being a great employee and then um, faced some really challenging issues with my then boss. And Mm. it really shows the duality of self-awareness from where I had grown from and where I was, you know, going. Um, and I think change plays a big role in my life because I've had to change so much mm. and I've gotten really comfortable with being more okay with change and with learning that I always have work to do. And I think that's a part of being mm-hmm. a student of life is yeah. knowing that 
we will continue to expand and hopefully learn and grow until, you know, the day we transition off this planet. And I think that that's extremely valuable and important, especially as a black woman um, in this work and in this world. Yeah. I think reading that first chapter, one of the things that I remember feeling in my body was like, oh, my God, I can't believe Alex is sharing all these things, <laughs> like the kinds of things that I would normally try to hide. Right. The things that um, I think often prevent us from changing, which mm-hmm. is not embracing both the best and the I won't say worse, but like more complicated parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that you bring that up because I was raised to hide. Hmm. Um, I was raised and not necessarily, no one was telling me to hide, but children watch the adults in their lives. Yes, And just by watching the behavior of the people in my life who were my caretakers, I was taught very early on to hide, to be fearful, um, to be unhappy. And you know, as I think back to my childhood, which I talk a lot about in After the Rain, it's very tender for me. I'll be 32 this year, and I feel like each year I grow older, the more tender my childhood trauma is for me. Hmm. Isn't um, that amazing that oh that's true? I relate to that a lot. Mm. I'm 39, and I'm still deeply surprised and disappointed by mm. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um And I'm like, why am I feeling so tender about this now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to the self-awareness. There's just an, I found a new sense of self-awareness in my 30s. And I'm like, oh, so we're doing this. Okay, so we have to, (laughs) we have to peel back some more layers here. Um, But it's interesting what those triggers have taught me. And how raising three daughters in a loving home, Mm. in a nurturing home, in an honest home, in a home that encourages them to show up as their best and most beautiful and most flawed and messy selves. um, It just it just reminds me that there's the lesson that I don't I didn't have to continue the cycle of, of, of trauma and hurt and, um, fear that I, that me and my husband can dismantle that for our daughters. Um, and I think that really shows me that I'm not just mothering them, but I'm also mothering myself. Mm, Yes. In the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you interviewed your grandmother on your podcast Hey, girl. I love the way you have it in the beginning. Hey, girl. Like, <laughs> um, And I was struck by so many of the things that the two of you talked about. Um, but one of the things that just gutted me was when your Nana, which is what you call her, um, she said self-care was taboo for mm-hmm. her growing up. Right. And even it sounds like for much of her adulthood. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like she's still even kind of coming to terms and she's learning it through you. Mm. And I'm so curious because she helped raise you largely. What has that relationship been like for you now as someone who's kind of taken on this self-awareness and this self-care in your life? How have you been teaching your Nana to do that in her life? Oh, I just saw my Nana a couple of days ago. We had um, Mother's Day dinner on Monday. Mm. 
And, you know, she's in her 70s. And to hear her speak about what self-care looks like for her now in this stage in her life is really magnificent for me. And what I heard her say in that episode about how she can call a friend and speak yeah. with her friend. Mm-hmm. During the uh, pandemic, during, no less, right? Yes, because she was describing mm-hmm. that experience of feeling isolated. And I, I will say, actually, that made me cry because um, mm-hmm. I live alone. And during this pandemic, that's been one of the hardest things to experience. And I sensed in her this, she said these words about feeling punished by God. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a person of faith as am I. And um, I also had those feelings like, I'm a good person. Like, what did I do to deserve this? And when she said those words, I was like, oh, Nana. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm getting teary just just hearing you speak about that because, you know, she um, she she lives alone, as you said, she's single, she's unpartnered. And she told my mom um, that she never thought her life would end up this alone, this lonely. That's so hard. And something that I heard her say in that interview is community is really sacred to her. She doesn't use that language, but that's what I heard her say. So with that, we've done our part to protect ourselves so that we can protect her as far as COVID goes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and like having her over to be with her great grandbabies gives her a lot of joy and, um, I remember when we started seeing each other again during COVID and like quarantining for two weeks to make sure that we're safe to be around her and just all the the care we had to take for her and for mm. ourselves really spoke volumes about what self-care really is. And it's an act of community care and community service. Mm. So that is what I teach, not only her, but hopefully everyone who encounters my work is that When I speak about self-care, I'm not just talking about the self. I'm also talking about how far-reaching being um, cared for internally is to our external communities, right? Um, And I'm so glad that Nana just looks to me to see what self-care is And also that she's made her own definition of what it is, right? Mm. And what makes her feel good. And it's really, it's really a beautiful thing, especially because she didn't grow up like that at all. Yeah, I was struck, and you started to say this before I interrupted you. um, I was struck by her calling a friend during the pandemic and, and really asking for help, right? And kind of naming how lonely and isolated she was feeling. And I thought in my head, I wonder if she would have done that Mm. before... Alex, before Alex and her work, like, would she have known that she could do that, be vulnerable in that way? I think so. I think so. Um, And I think that's what self-care, even though maybe that wasn't the language she would use for it, right? Yeah. But I think that has been her safe place is with her girlfriends and with people who won't judge her. You know what I mean? And even with her relationship with my mother, they're very, very close um, and they've become closer in their um, in their older age, <laughs> which is so cute just to see them together, the dynamics. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think she would have, I think she would have. And that, that really makes me happy because she knows that she has a, has a safe place to land. Right. And, 
if anything, I think the pandemic showed her and all of us that we deserve to name what we need and that we have people who we can lean on. Yeah. It left us, I mean, my experience with my, my community is so raw. Mm-hmm. And so almost like, on the one hand, I guess I would describe it as like, you know, no more fucks left to give. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but also just kind of just, yeah, this is, this is, I struggle asking for help. And I have not found myself to be so raw as I have been during this pandemic because I've just been like, I don't know any other way. Yeah. 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 You know, I love how um, you've, you've described self-care as community care. And I'm just really curious to hear you kind of unpack what that phrase means to you, because I don't think it's something that we often think about, right? And also just how does that self-care as community, how does that self-care as community care tie into your own celebration of your blackness? Mm. You know, in, in the chapter called Identity in After the Rain, you talk about this a little bit, but I'd love to hear you share more. Oh, man. So self-care as community care for me is the filling up of self so that we can pour into others and not be depleted, right? So as I mentioned earlier, I watched my grandmother do this. I watched my mother do this and so on and so forth. So deciding that, wow, that's for me, that is not how I want to move through the world. I don't want to pour into anyone with my last drop and then have nothing left for myself because then when it comes time to give again, I'll have nothing. Mm. Um, so essentially it's this refueling, it's this reconnecting and realigning with the self so that we can show up intentionally, right? Mm. That's the key word for me is intentionally yeah. and on purpose. Um, and as a black woman, in this world and in this work, I think often folks who identify as women, we um, we are always kind of like taught at a young age to be the strong one and mm-hmm. to have, you know, <laughs> mountains on our shoulders, right? <laughs> and like, and like have and caretake, right? Be yes. it, you know, from a mothering standpoint or even from taking care of siblings or taking care of our parents, right? And we're supposed to do that with a smile on our face, mm-hmm. with nothing in our cup and gladly. Mm-hmm. And I am dismantling that as a Black woman for my um, lineage because mm-hmm. I want my three daughters to look and say, to look at me and see the permission that they don't have to do that. They don't have to be tired. They don't have to be broken down and worn down, Mm. right? And I was talking to my mom yesterday, actually. We were having a pretty tender conversation, which we, we, we are rebuilding. We have been rebuilding our relationship for the past, I would say, five years. And it's it's actually really awesome because we can look at each other now as mother as as um, women and not mm. mother daughter but women as women yeah mm-hmm. which changed the game for how mm-hmm. we interacted with each other which is a whole yes. other thing um, oh yeah I love how you write about your relationship <laughs> with your mother truly oh man um, but but we we were speaking yesterday and I told her that I didn't feel like I came from a loving home. 
And she was saying how that's really heartbreaking for her to hear, but she also understands. Mm. And she said, it's hard to feel like you come from a loving home when all the women in your life were just trying to survive. Yes. All you saw were survival. Hmm. You didn't see joy. And I was like, whoa, like we are having a breakthrough moment here. Yes. Um, hmm. And when I think about the healing that I'm doing and that I've been doing for the past eight years, the intentional, deeply rooted healing, I think about, even though it's hard as hell, it's like, gosh, why are we doing this? It's so much easier to not, right? And I think that's yeah. why people don't. Um, but choosing to do Until this Until it hard, catches up with you. Right, right. right and then it knocks the you thing. down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I speak from my own experience yes. as someone who avoided myself for mm, like 30 years. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> I can relate to that so much. And like choosing to do this hard work for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but it doesn't just heal me. It heals my lineage. And I speak mm. about that a lot. Um, how this is intentional soul work, how everything I put into the world as an author and as a facilitator and as a human and a woman and a black woman, I want, uh, I wanted to give other people permission to heal themselves so that they can heal their lineage and not only so they can heal their lineage in addition to healing their lineage. Cause that's what it does. That, that's what our intentional yeah. healing does. You know, and um, I was speaking with someone about motherhood recently, and I was saying, it is so hard to be the matriarch of healing in your family. (laughs) It is so hard. Hmm. And every time I try, I don't really try anymore because what's the point? But because it's it's meant for me to do this work. So there's no way I can like avoid it. Exactly. There's no trying. There's just doing <laughs> right, now for you. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say like, whenever I would try to avoid this work, it would be like, girl, where are you going? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you, mm. you don't know. Come here, come here. And that's how I knew that this work that I'm doing is so much greater than me. Yeah. And for someone, and I bring that up because for so long I thought my life didn't have purpose. Mm-hmm. I was still trigger warning, self harm. I was still trying to kill myself at 19, 20. Mm-hmm. So this work that I'm doing is intentional, everyday soul work because for so long I did not want to be on this earth and I did not think I had value and that comes from lots of childhood trauma yeah and pain and choosing you know trauma doesn't have to be my resting place that is my mantra trauma is not your resting place Mm. and that's why you know you're writing it's something that I experience when I read your writing. I feel in my head clearly Alex is writing this for herself and she's writing it for all of us. And it's such a fascinating thing to be doing both at the same time. Mm. Yeah. 
You know, this this reminds me so much of uh, a paragraph in a chapter that just completely gutted me and changed me <laughs> um, in your book, After the Rain. It's called Soothing the Suffering. And um, I'll just I'll read this paragraph to you. Okay. I'd worked so hard to identify ill feelings stemming from my childhood and hush them so they wouldn't be a distraction in my present day life. I thought I'd put those issues to rest. So to have them rush back into my memory and take over my entire day made me doubt everything I thought I knew about the work I was doing on myself, everything I thought I'd healed from. In my mind, I had arrived already. I'd done the work it took to address things that triggered me. And I was frustrated that I was second guessing what I knew to be true about myself. And then I love where you go here because you describe what you said in a conversation with a friend. Mm -hmm. Why can't there be a destination in this self-healing work? Why does it have to be an ongoing process? <laughs> I told her I was looking for an end point. Trying to figure this stuff out over and over again made me feel like time was being wasted. That paragraph, I remember putting my book down when I read it because that is so often how I feel like this is such a waste of time. How have I not progressed further? Why am I still dealing with the same issue? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, reading your writing gave me so much hope because particularly in this chapter, I'd never thought of the concept of self-soothing mm. as a practice that you could do, like not as a weakness or like something associated with babies. You know, I always yeah. like I have a niece and my sister-in-law talks about teaching her to self-soothe. I always thought of it as something as, as you know, weakness and, and something childish. And mm. I never thought about it as something that could be a tool that I could use every day and that I needed to use it in order to live and enjoy life and have both pain and joy mm. in my daily life. Yeah. And that duality is major. Like that, that both and um, mm. that I am and still that I can and still um, is huge. It's huge for me. It's huge for <laughs> for my process and self-soothing it's interesting that you brought up your niece because I was the same you know and and I'm like self-soothing is for babies it's when you're sleep yeah. training it's when you're weaning off the breast it's like it's these things right it's when they mm -hmm. don't have a pacifier it's like all yes. these like big things that are for babies huge that keeps them alive and that teaches them skills kind of early on right mm -hmm. and I'm like my adult self needs to learn how to self-soothe <laughs> yes. because I mean how much better would our work lives our personal lives be if people just would figure out how to self-soothe yeah. this is what blew my mind Alex after reading this <laughs> we're all like, just a bunch of babies looking yes. to self-soothe <laughs> <laughs> yes and then I also think about just the inner child work I've been doing mm. and that's really where this concept for me came to be is like, I am nurturing my inner child. I am reparenting my inner child. And I often tell my students that our inner child is us. Mm -hmm. So our adult self and our younger self are still us. And we still, it doesn't matter how old we are today. Yeah. We still need that love and care and inner peace and these tools to help us move through the world. This world is stressful. This mm -hmm. is a stressful world. Um, and having tools to be able to help ease 
the stress that we will face, I think is really important. And it also allows us to stand in our power too. And we have things in our emotional suitcase that we can like pull out and be like, okay, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it today. What do I need? And asking myself, what do I need? Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm backtracking in my healing. What do I know to be true about the healing work I've done so far? Yes. Right. And just putting it to paper to see it because often we forget how far we've come. I know I do. And my journal is my mirror. My loved ones are my mirror. So whenever I can't see myself, I know who I can look to and what I can look to for a reflection, right? And that also offers me self-soothing because Mm. I can see myself, how other people are seeing me just through their affirmation and their reminders. Like, you've done so much healing and so much work. Don't discredit that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. I love too because what you're talking about there is, um, you know, something that you you name in your bio, which I love this language you use that you're an author and a and a writing to heal facilitator. Yes, the fact that you see writing as a healing process. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because um, that's something that you've really cultivated intentionally and deeply on your Instagram account. Alex underscore L, um, <laughs> which is just so such a beautiful community that you form there. And it's not just because it's huge, you know, it's over 1.1 million people that are following you on there and, and part of that community. But because of the intentionality and the thoughtfulness that goes into that, and one of the things that you're most known for is these notes to self. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious for you to talk a little bit about using writing as this tool for healing and like how that note to self began for you. Mm. So I found writing to heal in therapy when I was 19. Mm. Um, Mm. I had this really awesome therapist named Miss B and she's the first person to give me permission to know myself. Mm. So long story short, I was working with her for some months and I loved her. And she gave me this imaginary emotional toolbox and she told me to put a journal in it. And I had always been a writer. Poems, long form, I loved writing, but I never thought about writing to heal. I Mm. always thought about writing to vent. Yeah. um, Or writing to recap, but not necessarily writing to heal myself. Yeah, to process, to to analyze. But yeah, healing is such a fascinating concept. Yep. And I was just like, huh, sure, I'll I'll try that. But I remember being really intimidated. Hmm. And then she she didn't quit. She moved. And... She said, okay, I have some news for you. Um, I'm moving back to the South. I forget where she was from, but it was someplace Southern. And I just broke down crying on her couch. I'm like, you're what? <laughs> like, mm. We just started doing this work, you know, mm-hmm. and now you're leaving. And that was really hard for me. But she said, Alex, you have your answers. I am just your guide. Hmm. Look at how far you've come. Hmm. You know exactly what to do. You just have to trust yourself. Yeah. 
And you also weren't alone as a writer, right? Because I know that you love Nikki Giovanni and you love Toni Morrison and you love Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. all these black women who also showed you mm-hmm. that this was possible. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out of her office. I mean, of course she gave me, she didn't just leave me high and dry. She gave me some like colleagues to look to. Um, but I walked out of her office feeling sad, but also hopeful because she had given me this tool to heal myself through writing, to get curious about myself through writing. And I was like, oh, wow, maybe I can do this. Maybe I do know how to find my answers. And then if I don't know, I I know how to ask for help now. Hmm. And that was a big thing too, like her offering me this sense of you don't have to do this alone who said you Mm -hmm. had to do it alone (laughs) right (laughs) well every single woman in your family (laughs) who modeled that for you (laughs) exactly exactly and I said well I've never seen anyone do it yeah together and she Mm -hmm. goes well I guess you'll have to change that (laughs) and what I liked about her is that she was really sweet but she was also like she wasn't going to baby me yeah and enable and enable my self doubt. She was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, not doing that." And she gave me, and I need that. I'm definitely that type of person who needs, who needs that, that mm-hmm. real in. I call it, um, especially because I can get in my head. So, her giving me that permission was what started my healing journey, like my writing to heal journey. Mm. And I didn't start, I didn't start, um, I did not start sharing my work until, I don't know, I was 22, maybe I might've been 21. Instagram was very new and I started sharing my notes to self there. And the reason why I started sharing on the internet is because a friend of mine told me to stop hoarding my story and hoarding my happiness. Hmm. Wow. She was like, you're healing. You've done so much healing and you are not alone. Mm. And you don't know who needs your story. And I'm like, girl, nobody cares. And she was like. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank that friend personally. (laughs) You just let her know. I will will tell her this. And she was like, oh, no, somebody cares. And even if it's one person, that's one heart changed. I will never forget that. Hmm. So then I just I just started it's interesting because during my big spiritual transition at around 22 20 I would say 22 um I started meeting people who affirmed my existence and who saw something in me that I had not yet seen and in their in their friendship after losing all of my friends because I was going on this spiritual path and I was um, choosing to change and some people weren't here for that change and we were outgrowing each other and everything else that comes along with shedding. Um, Once I shed, I was alone for a year. I talk about this in the book. I think it's in the chapter validation. Yeah. Um, I chose to be alone for a year no friends, no 
um, boyfriends, no dating, no entertainment, like nothing. Homegirl was out here by herself, getting to know herself. Hmm. And that is brave. Oh my god, it was scary. It yeah. was so. I mean, it sounds scary. Terrifying. Oh my gosh, yeah. to go from having all this distraction mm-hmm. to having yourself, yeah, just yourself. You had your early pandemic time, let me tell you, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Talk about isolation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then I started meeting people, as I was saying, like, who were in line and aligned Mm. with the new emerging self. And that's really how, how my journey started to take shape is these stepping stones of support and like-mindedness. And I'm still friends with that woman all these years later. And it's like, she just looks at me and she just laughs. She's like, told you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Do I have it right that was your first note to self on Instagram, your note to your 12 year old self? Or was that not the first one? It might've been. Tell me about that one. Like what, what prompted that particular note? I was a really sad, broken kid. And all those years ago when I started sharing my work on Instagram, I didn't really have the language for inner child work. I didn't hmm. I didn't really, you know, have the language for even self-care. I just knew that I was changing and that I wanted to tap into um, the broken little girl in me. The little girl who felt like she had to give herself away in so many different forms Mm -hmm. in order to be loved and seen. The little girl who'd never felt safe, who never felt loved, or who only felt what love could be like if I was performing in a way that made someone else happy. Even if that meant shrinking myself. Yes, and diminishing yourself. And diminishing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm pretty certain that I started my notes to self as a younger self journal, kind of. And my very first self-published baby book, I think it was like 60 pages, 63 pages, is called Words from a Wanderer. And they were just notes to myself. Hmm. And it's so funny when I see people still reading that book all these years later, I'm like, I cringe, but I'm also like, (laughs) oh, like, that's so nice that people are still reading this book. And so funny. I ran into someone a couple of years ago who had the very first edition. And I guess I had like done a giveaway and like signed Mm. it. And she had it ratted, tatted, dog eared, (laughs) ripped, coffee stained in her purse. Well loved. Well Mm -hmm. loved. And she said, Alex, I don't mean to bother you. I know you're out with your family, but look at this. And she pulled it out of her purse. And I was like, I just had a moment and we hugged. Mm -hmm. And it was, she was like, your work has changed my life. And I have been following your work ever since. I have every last book, every last journal. And thank you for being brave enough Mm -hmm. to heal yourself because you're healing me. Yeah. And that's like, that is so big. That is so, I do not take that for granted, especially because I know what it feels like 
to be hurting so deeply that you don't think you're ever going to see the light. Yeah. So being in this work for almost 10 years now, um, it is so amazing that people are collectively healing together because of each other's stories. Because mm-hmm. that's the goal of my community and that's the goal of my books is to not just offer myself, but to offer an invitation to the reader, to the community member, to get closer to their self. And that is such sacred work and I'm really honored and I'm glad I didn't turn away. Hmm. You know, I've been in lucky enough to be in therapy since my mid-20s and um, on and off. And every therapist has tried to have me do inner child work. And I've just like really dug down and be like, nope, mm-hmm. not going back there. You know, I had a difficult childhood mm-hmm. um, and there was trauma. And I think that's one of the reasons why your notes to self stand out to me so much. It's because particularly that 12-year-old note to self note to your 12-year-old self, I should say, Um, you found a way to, with compassion and care, to really bring both both parts of yourself into a present moment. You, You have your inner child and you also have the person that you are today, which is safe and... Mm. Um, has has power and has agency, right, in a way that you didn't have as a child. And I'm just really curious to learn more about what you wrote to yourself when you were thinking about that 12-year-old note, what you wrote to yourself and how you were able to go there. Mm. I don't remember exactly what that very first note said, but I know that... Um, I know that... I was ready to tap into that part of me, that younger self, that that lost girl. Because that's, that's also scary. Um, yeah. I think that's why I've been so avoidant of it in the past is because there's so much fear that I've yeah. had about going back to that loneliness and that sadness mm, yeah. as a little girl. Oh, my gosh. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I still, I still have moments where... And something I'm becoming more comfortable with is like crying for her. Yeah. Um, because it's like, oh, only if she had me, mm, then as her mom. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about like mentoring my younger self, mm. and it's through those notes to self that I do that. Um, and I don't know, I think I was maybe called spiritually to tap into that place because, you know, I was a mom and yeah. I, like, like I mentioned, I was a mom at 18. Um, and I knew that I had to start healing myself so that I could be the mother I wanted to be for this kid. Mm. Um, and doing that type of soul work as you're mothering a human being is just 
it's really expansive and I think it's even it, it's just hard it's it's hard in general but it's really hard when you're trying to raise someone else and then like figure out how to raise yourself um but I must say that I'm very proud of myself for showing up to do the work because mm. I look at Charlie, she's 13, um, and she's so amazing. She is, I see the work that I've done in her. Mm. And I look at her two little sisters, they're three and 20 months. And um, I see the work I've done in them. Yeah. And if I had decided to turn away from that inner child work, that younger self work, that first note to self, and it might have even been on forgiveness or self-forgiveness or something, um, I don't think I would have had the capacity to be the mother that I am today Mm. because I I was holding myself hostage, Mm. emotionally hostage. And these notes to self give me liberation and they are reminders to be um, graceful and compassionate and understanding with all that I didn't know and with all that I did know, even if I did the wrong thing. Hmm. You know, Alex, that reminds me of this beautiful um, part of the chapter on self-soothing that I'd love for you to read if... um, if you're up for it, it's bottom of page 48. So it starts with the paragraph on suffering and then it ends at the bottom of page 49. Okay. I'm going to jump in while you're looking for that really quick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, we're hearing a lot of background, like construction noise or something, Alex. Is that, is that oh. anything that can be mitigated on your end at all? <sighs> no, I think they're lawn mowing out here. <laughs> Oh boy. It's okay. Do you though. want me I can I can go into the closet. No, Zach, it's fine. It's not that bad because I'm hearing it through my headphones, but it's not distracting. It's me. not okay. It's called daily life. It is daily life. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I wish no. I, like, oh, I think I was asking if there was, you know, a window that wasn't quite shut all the way or anything like no. that. No, oh, they're oh. they're like right outside. They're right below my window. <laughs> okay. Of course. I'm just like, of course. <laughs> It's okay. That's happen. how it happens. It never fails. It, it, it is life. It's pandemic life, It is. Too. I always say I like hearing people's daily life noises in the background. It reminds me that we're all just doing this together. Okay. Sorry for the interruption. We'll oh, Zach, don't worry. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh, gosh. Now they're getting louder. Hold on a second. Let me see. Hold on a second. <laughs> We really can live with it. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can. Totally. But it's good to bring up in case there's something that she can do. So I think I just looked out the window and it looks like he's like working his way around. So hopefully it'll stop soon, but I'm also happy to go into the closet no. <laughs> if you need me to. No, let's let's keep going with where you're at. And okay. Go ahead and do the reading. And I, I do think it's low enough. We'll be able to, to mitigate it. And like we said, it's life. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. We're trying. No Thank you, Alex. No, no problem. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you said the bottom of page 48. Yeah, the paragraph that starts with suffering has been extraordinary and then ending with not only my children, but also myself. Okay, yep. Right. Suffering has been extraordinary and under... I'll start over. Suffering has been an extraordinary and underappreciated teacher in my life. It's taught me how to heal, give myself grace in intense moments of grief, and recognize the importance of gently moving through experiences that cause tension, discomfort, and uncertainty. No one demonstrated how to relieve the inedible... Start over. (laughs) No one demonstrated how to relieve the inevitable agony that life would hand me. No one told me that I was in charge of it either. I was left to figure out how to not only acknowledge, but also understand the role I may have played in causing it. Uncertainty with how to address my pain left me in limbo. Being where I am today, on the other side of some of my most painful experiences, is proof that we have the power to mend ourselves. Even in distress and turmoil, I can heal the damaged parts of myself by releasing attachment to <clears throat> Excuse me. Even in distress and turmoil, I can heal the damaged parts of myself by releasing attachments to things I cannot change and letting go of the notion that I have to figure out my sorrow. The joy in my suffering has been standing in the truth that I can shift my story as I evolve and align more deeply with my possibilities, even when they seem far away. Giving myself unapologetic permission to look my heart giving myself unapologetic permission to look my heartache in the face and say, "You won't silence me," has changed how I navigate pain. It's also helped me nurture my inner child and it's transformed how I mother not only my children but also myself. Hmm, so beautiful. Thank you. You know, another way that I love how you've like complicated and redefined this idea of self-care is when you talk about boundaries in your writing. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is not just with other people, which I think most of us are familiar with, right? Like how do we create boundaries within our families and with the people in our lives, but boundaries with ourselves, like for ourselves, the idea of like holding ourselves accountable as a kind of reframing to think about as self-care. Mm-hmm. Like that if I don't respect my own boundaries, I'm not taking care of my home, you know, which is myself. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that, about how you came to that understanding of boundaries as self-care. You know, I was one of those people who was always like, I need to have boundaries with other people. Right. But I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would and I would set those boundaries and then I wouldn't honor them for myself. So for me, boundaries really looks like honoring the boundaries I put into place. Yeah. If I tell someone X and I do Y, that doesn't teach them how to honor my boundaries when I set them for them. Yeah. Um, it's that idea of modeling it, right? Again. That modeling, yep. That leading by example, that, mm-hmm. um, that self-trust and also understanding that Boundaries aren't just a thing that we hand out to people, right? Yeah. You get a boundary, you get a boundary, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like 
we also have to remember how important it is to honor ourselves. Um, Mm. And a good example here is, um, oh my goodness. So I, I had put like some hard stops on my work calendar because Mm -hmm. I was just working, working, working. And this person reached out asking me to, you know, to book me for something. And I respectfully had to decline. And they kept emailing me like, it'll only take, you know, Hmm. 30 minutes of your time. You know, the client really wants you like just, of course, being, um, they were excited and also, um, Persistent, clearly. Persistent, yes, because maybe she'll say I'll wear, yes. I'll wear her down, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and normally I would have been like, okay, fine, I'll just do the thing. And instead I said, um, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to take this on. I appreciate your excitement about working with me and I hope to be connected with you in the future. But as of now, this is not something that I can do. And I really appreciate you respecting my boundaries in advance. Mm. And they responded and said, wow, thank you so much for that. And I will respect your boundaries. Hmm. It's a teaching moment. Mm -hmm. Because... That's hard, especially when someone is excited about you and Mm -hmm. persistent and it's a decent, great opportunity and you'll have a good time. And, but I'm also the person who would say yes to things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. I think as women, you know, we struggle with that. Oh, can you hear me? I said, I just think as women, we struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And I've been learning how to respect my own boundaries as a self-care practice and to not be worn down, even though someone is excited about me or some, or, or I'm excited about something, right? It's like, if I can't do it, I can't do it. And I'm going to honor the respect um, of my time that I said I would honor. And yeah, not always easy though, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And also the fact that I, I, this is one of the first things I thought about with boundaries, the fact that one of your platforms is Instagram. And like, Mm -hmm. I was like, how does Alex take care of herself and not being on Instagram too much? And I was so curious to know. I'm like, how do you do that as someone who is so intentional about your own self-care when all of us acknowledge how kind of, I don't want to say anti-self-care, but it it can be a very difficult relationship to have one Mm -hmm. one with social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a social media timer on my phone. So I think I allot myself like an hour. Um, to be on Instagram per day, um, per day. Mm-hmm. And that has been really helpful. They have mm-hmm. it. And if you have an Apple phone, like you yeah, can put, I have you know it what on I mean? Mine too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do that. And it's really helpful because they don't just shut you out, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but also I, I have gone to, I have started rather um, within the past like couple of years being really intentional about the energy I receive from Instagram, like mm-hmm. because there are so many people there and so many comments and so many messages. So um, I only have comments on for people who follow the account so that I don't get a lot of spam or, you know, racism or mean comments. Yeah. Um, so that's a boundary that I have. Like, 
And and it's a small one, but it's really, really helpful because there was one point where it was just out of control yeah. um, and made me feel really bad. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not I'm not going to put myself um, <laughs> I'm not going to put myself through that. So here's this adjustment. When they rolled that out, I was like, oh, that's for me. That's a boundary for me. Um, I also don't follow accounts that make me feel bad about myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does. Your your account is the only, I'm not actually on Instagram, but your account is the only one I wish that I, like if I could only be on just for you, I would. Instead, I just go into my friend's account often and look at your posts. Oh, that makes yeah. me happy. Um, but yeah, I follow accounts that, you know, lift me up and are aligned. I follow On Being. Um, I follow, Nice plug, you know, Alex. Nice yes. plug. It's just, <laughs> it's the truth. Okay. It's the truth. Um, and, you know, just... Keeping my online space just as tidy and neat mm. and safe as my in real life space. Yeah. I think that's really important. Social media can be tricky, but it can also be really beautiful. I've cultivated a beautiful community on there. Mm. And that that's really what the Alex L page is. It's a community page, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of beauty that happens there. And yeah, so... Well, I'm aware that we've we've reached the hour. Could you go for 10 more minutes? Is that okay? I, I can. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Because I have like three more questions that I'd love to ask you. Yeah. Um, going back to boundaries, one of the things that um, I've been working on a lot in my own life that I've learned a lot from you and reading your writing is navigating my relationship with my mother mm. and, and just constantly evolving that. And I think you named this in our conversation right now that one of the things that it's allowed you to do this work with her has been both of you are now adults, right? And you see each other as women, not as mother and child. And mm -hmm. I really relate to that. And I'm just so curious how you got to the point where I, I love you. You wrote about your relationship with your mother and you said that at, at one point you realized that instead of boundaries with her, you had barriers. Yeah. And that that phrase really struck me, and it's one that I've been reflecting on a lot in my own life and in my own relationship with my mother. And I'd, I'd just love for you to share a little bit about what that process has been like for the two of you. Mm. That process has been not always the easiest. I can imagine. Um, yeah, and it's also been... When you have someone who is open to doing their work, it makes being in relationship easier. Mm. And my mom has started doing her work. And so it makes our relationship easier. And I never thought she would start doing her work Lily, mm. never, mm. never. This gives me hope as someone who has a mother who is not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to think like with our parents, mm -hmm. this, what is soul work? What is healing? No, I, I, I show up I, I, and I do the thing and that's it. You know, yeah. there's no facing the thing. Oh my God, yeah. You know? And um, when I've had this conversation with my mom, she's like, I gave you food. 
I yep. gave you shelter. Mm. Like, what else did you ask for? Like, you know oh what I mean? Gosh. And it's true because so much of the work was just the daily survival. It's what you said. Yeah. The daily survi- survival. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think hearing my mom say that to me yesterday, it's so ironic that we're having this conversation yeah. today, is um, those those types of things shows me that she's doing her work because that means she's thinking about her past. She's thinking about, um, things, you know, and I wrote in the self-love chapter of after the rain, um, about our relationship. And I remember when I turned 31 last year, we had a sit down and we had a sit down because, um, after the rain was about to come out and I had just gotten my advanced copies in from Chronicle and I knew that I wanted to talk with my mother before the world got the book. Hmm. Yeah. So I bookmarked every chapter that was about our story Hmm. and I wrote her a letter and I gave her the book and I said, when she's ready to talk that I am ready to listen. And I think I might've even read her um, an excerpt from the chapter Comparison, which is one of my favorite chapters about our story. Such a powerful, powerful chapter where you talk about going to visit um, a friend and her farm and seeing her relationship with her mother and Mm -hmm. thinking about your own relationship with your mother and your childhood, because Mm -hmm. their relationship on the surface was so easy. Mm hmm. And mine had not been. And so unconditional. I love that you talk about that, that you were witnessing in the friend, in the friend and her mom, the unconditional love that they had for each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it felt, I was so jealous. Yeah. Envious. I was, I, I can still feel it in my body now as I talk about it. Mm. I'm like, who lives like this? Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> you know, for a long time, I had the experience that I assumed that was just because I come from an immigrant family that like, oh, it must just be an immigrant thing that we don't live like that. And then I realized, no, it's not. It's just a my family thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's so wild because I thought it was a black family thing. Yeah, I think we all find excuses. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, it's just this is just how black mm-hmm. folks raise their kids. That's not the truth. No, you it's, know, not. It's, it's not. It's not. Um, so... I knew I wasn't going to write after the rain until I could make peace hmm. with the short, the, the, until I could make peace with the stories that I shared with other people, right? Because they're not just our stories. Yeah. Hmm. They are everyone's stories, everyone who is involved. Yeah. So I was not going to write this book until I could greet my mother and her story and our story with compassion. Hmm. So she read the book. And she said, I was waiting for you to write about us. Hmm. And this comes from a woman who's never purchased one of my books before, who avoided reading my work for so long, who didn't know how to show up for me hmm. in that way. Yeah. Um, but... She received it very well, and we we had a conversation. And for the first time in my entire life, Lily, she said the words, I am sorry. Wow. Hmm. And I almost died. Yeah. (laughs) Of 
course. I'm, I'm saying that lightly right now, like, because it's been a while since we've had the conversation. But I just remember talking to my husband, Ryan, and being like, a week before talking to him, and I was pissed. Yeah. Something had happened. I'm very easily triggered by my mother. And something had happened, and I was just complaining and sad and mad. And he was like, and if she said sorry to you tomorrow, what would that change? How would that make you feel? And I remember being like, like really thinking about that. Yeah, go Ryan. What a great question. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my mirror right there. He always <laughs> calls me in. <laughs> like he'll let me do my mm. thing, my rant. And then he'll be like, okay, so. What a gift to you. That's wonderful. Such a gift. Such a gift. Um, and the, a week later, she apologized to me. Wow. She hmm. bought me... Um, so my mom's love language is acts of service, but it's also gifts. And growing up, I think I wrote about this as well, that yeah. she would she would beat me up and then she would shower me with gifts after. Mm-hmm. That was her sorry. Yeah. Or she would fly into a fit of rage and then send me to my grandmother's house. And then I'd come back home. And I'd have a new room. Right? Yeah. So. To try to erase I, what had happened. Oh, yeah. 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 And I don't think, I don't think just erase, but also show me that, well, I'm not, I, I do this too. Mm. Oh, like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. Um, and I keep you safe and I feed you and. You Such know, a like, good point. yeah, it's, I'm not just one thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very intense growing up in a home like that. And she said to me, when we sat down and talked, she said, I was so angry with everything. I was so miserable. I was so, like, and she, and I could see her, Lily, I could see her for the first time. I could see her because my mom is not a vulnerable woman. Hmm. So for her to trust me enough after all we've been through and for me to trust her enough yeah. to sit down and have this really tender conversation, this really raw conversation and to welcome her vulnerability without judgment, which was hard for me before when she would try to, I would just shut her out. I'm like, no, but Making space for her in this way was really moving. And to hear her tell me pieces of like what she was going through mm. all those years ago when she was yeah. raising me and how hurt she was. She said, it, it just, it made sense. It made sense. Yeah. Because if you, of course, you hated yourself. How could you love me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you know, and I, and I know that's a, a deep conversation for another time, but I just want to put that out there because so often people think that they can love people when they hate themselves. And that is not productive. No. It also creates that barrier between love. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. It prevents Mm -hmm. you from loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's a it's, remarkable story. Yeah. And I mm. and I have to say, I have to say this to you, which is that I don't think she would have been able to get there without you modeling her 
modeling to her how to get there. Oh, she told me that. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I wish you as her daughter didn't have to teach her that. (laughs) I so wish that that wasn't the case. And I, I know deeply that there's no other way she could have gotten there without you as her daughter teaching her. Mm. And and that kind of goes hand in hand with what I said earlier about healing the lineage. Yeah. And how being the matriarch of healing is hard. Yeah. Right? And <clears throat> something she told me when I had Charlie, which was also a turning point for our family, for me and my mom and my stepdad, because they never had children. And Charlie's and your first daughter. Charlie is my first daughter. Yeah. Yes. Um, my mom told me that Charlie was her do-over. Hmm. And I remember hearing that at first and being like, what the? I was mad. <laughs> I yeah. Was mad. Um, <laughs> I would have been too. <laughs> but, but I knew what, I knew what she meant, but I was mad. But we, yeah. so we recently talked about that too, about a year ago. Um, but she, she said that Charlie gave her a second chance to show that she was a good person. Hmm. Hmm. So, and my kids love their Mimi, mm. let me tell you. When my mom walks in this house, Isla, <laughs> who is our three-year-old, runs to the gate and says, Mimi's home, Mimi's home. <laughs> and mm. it's beautiful for me. Like, yeah. we're healing. We're healing. Yeah. My children love her. And, um, and I love her. I love her for what, for keeping me alive and I, I'm loving her in this new way as just a woman, hmm. as a human who has flaws. Yeah. Not just a mother who brought me into the world under, in a traumatic, in a traumatic way, but as a human who kept me alive and as a woman who had her own stuff going on. I can see her now a lot more clearly. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful. You're welcome. I'd love to end our conversation by very natural ending. Look at this. You predicted it because you wrote this book and ended (laughs) it with forgiveness. (laughs) Mm. Um, You end your book with this chapter called Forgiveness, A Note to Self. And I I have to say, I love the intentionality you had in the order of um, all the chapters. You know, you started with change and then self-love and soothing the suffering. And it is not a coincidence, I think, that you ended with forgiveness because it's the hardest thing to do, right, Mm -hmm. for ourselves and for other people. And you complicate again and deepen the notion of self-forgiveness in your writing when you write, self-forgiveness is an act of community service. Mm. An act of community service is not something I've ever thought about. And I just would love to hear a little bit about the layers of what self-forgiveness means to you and why you think it is like the most important part of the self-care and healing work that we all have to do. Mm. Um. I couldn't start seeing other people until I started to forgive myself. Mm. Mm. And that's what I mean by self-forgiveness is an act of community service. Because when we can look at ourselves and say, I love you anyway, it opens up the door for more compassion for other people. Mm. 
Um, and I think just self-healing in general, right, mm-hmm. is this act, <clears throat> is this act of communal care. Yeah. And being someone who avoided forgiving myself for getting pregnant at 18, for thinking I was worthless and that's why I got pregnant, Hmm. for not protecting myself and my body, right? So a lot of my self-forgiveness comes from the choices that I made that made me a mother. And for so long, I thought I was broken and worthless because I did this thing and I had this baby and no one would want me after that. And I was destined to live a life, a statistic, Mm. to be a statistic. A single black woman. Single black woman Mm -hmm. with a baby struggling because that's what people told me I would be. And I thought, and I think I thought I would be that. I mean, your mom and your grandmother both were, right? Yes, they were. My mom didn't marry my stepdad until I was like maybe eight. Um, And my grandmother was a young single mom. My mom had me when she was 24. Uh, She was an adult, but she was... Barely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just knew that I wanted that to stop with me. Yeah. Hmm. And, and so in order to move forward and have that stop with me, I had to forgive myself and I had to hold myself and I had to be real with myself and make a choice I believe in the power of choice. And the reason why I believe in it so deeply is because for so long I felt like I did not have a choice. Mm. But when I started to choose myself, my healing, my recovery, my spirituality, the type of partner that I wanted to have, the type of mother that I wanted to be, what I deserved things really became clearer for me. Yeah. So that all started with forgiving myself for being, for not being my highest self. Hmm. You know? But instead just being exactly who you needed to be. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And taking the lessons with me. Each chapter of After the Rain is, is a lesson. It's titled Lesson. Mm-hmm. And there will be many more lessons, you know, as I walk through marriage, me and my husband are celebrating five years married May 28th. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Hmm. Um, As I walk through motherhood, as I walk through mending the relationship with my mother, forgiveness is a, it's just a daily, it's a daily practice. I do believe Every title in that book, change is a daily practice. Self-love is a daily practice. Healing is a daily practice. It's all a practice and it's all a choice. And I truly believe that. 
in every note to self you write, I really get that sense. I get the sense that it is a practice of forgiveness that you're doing and you're modeling for all of us who read your writing. Mm. Thank you. Mm, thank you. I'd love, if, if you're up for it, um, just to end by having you read on page 190, actually, the, the first part of that forgiveness chapter. Um, and ending on page 191, where you say oh, that yeah. beautiful phrase, I'm proud of you for trying every day like you do. Mm, okay. The pain from old wounds sometimes lingers clings to you like a second skin that you can't seem to outgrow. Perhaps even makes you want to forget who you are and who you were and all it's taken to get here. But today, you are still standing. I am proud of you and your becoming. There's an air of self-awareness that you've grown to know deep in your bones. Where you've been and what you've walked through has shaped each footstep that you have left behind. And still, even though you've reached new heights in your quest and have come so far, there are some feelings of regret sprouting within the pieces of your story that you'd rather let slip away. But that's not how pain or pursuit of understanding works. You can't pretend the aching doesn't exist. You can't silence it. Why would you want to? Where is the lesson in that? Instead, sit with it all, breathe through it, and remember to cry. Give it life and let it go. Perhaps what scares you the most is not having that lingering feeling of suffering waiting for you to drop the ball or turn the corner. Remember, the goal isn't to escape, become numb, or ignore what hurts or haunts. It's to acknowledge, accept, and appreciate all that comes with the ebb and flow of healing. Transformation comes in waves. Deep down, you know that you're a work of art, abstract, filled with meaning and discovery. You've made time to mend what was broken and tend to what's been hurting. And still, forgiveness, pardon me, and still, forgiving yourself seems light years away. You're worthy. You're allowed to let your guard down and become friends with forgiveness. You are braver than you think, softer than you know, and more resilient than you let yourself see. I am proud of you for trying every day like you do. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. That's so, so powerful. Alex, I'm so grateful for you and for the bravery that you show in your writing and, and in just writing to yourself and sharing it with all of us. I truly cannot express how grateful I am for, for learning through that and through you. Thank you so much. I, I'm so honored. And this was such a beautiful conversation. I, I'm just, thank you.